electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Deal or no deal, stocks giving up a big chunk of their gains as signs that a massive $2 trillion relief bill could be delayed by Bernie Sanders and four GOP senators. Welcome to CNBC's continuing coverage of these markets. I am Brian Sullivan. Check out the late day move in the market. You can see the market taking a big hit into the close right at the end of the day. That's as Senator Bernie Sanders came out and said that he will hold up the $2 trillion package if the GOP senators do not change their views on what he calls corporate welfare. The Dow did manage to finish the day in the green, however, but well off its high. Still, you want to find a positive? It is the first back-to-back days in the gains in the Dow since early February. Well, a lot of today's rally was driven by Boeing. Optimism around a bailout there, helping Boeing post a 24% gain, its best day ever since the 1962 IPO. We're going to dig into all of this with tonight's trader panel. Guy, Tim, Steve, and BK, they are all standing by for you. Plus, you will hear from New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. That state just reported one of its biggest single-day jumps in coronavirus cases. We're going to speak with the governor about what is being done to stem the outbreak and help all those hardworking men and women and their businesses in the Garden State. Well, as is becoming a trend lately, we are also awaiting a White House briefing on the virus. We're going to bring it to you live as soon as it occurs. But let us begin with that bombshell out of Capitol Hill, where we are seeing new signs that that stimulus aid bill could be delayed. Kayla Tausche is live in D.C. with more on this developing story. Kayla. Brian, there's some late-day snags in the stimulus bill that was supposed to sail through with bipartisan support after days of round-the-clock negotiations. Now progressives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders are vowing to gum up the works and delay a vote in either chamber if Senate Republicans succeed in getting changes that they have sought earlier today. AOC tweeting, there is absolutely no good reason why Senate Republicans are tying a historic corporate giveaway to getting relief money in the hands of families. Sanders says if Republicans get their way, that he'll move to add more conditions to the $500 billion loan program that he is calling a corporate welfare fund. Earlier today, three Senate Republicans objected to the fact that for some states, workers who are laid off and get unemployment benefits would be making more than they would have made had they been employed. They say that that is a perverse incentive. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham describing it earlier. This bill pays you more not to work than if you were working. Very few people are going to turn down a 24-hour dollar deal not to work. A GOP aide says that this is the result of trying to standardize the dollar figure paid out to laid off workers in different states. A second GOP aide says that uh, it's understood that there will be changes needed to appease either side, but it's still unclear how substantive those would be. Brian. All right, Kayla Tausche in D.C. Kayla, thank you very much. Of course, we're going to hear much more on all of this tomorrow morning when we interview Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. That'll be at 9 a.m. Eastern time. We may or may not 
have a deal by then. All right, let's now bring in tonight's trader panel, making it kind of feel like the fast money of old. Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Brian Kelly, names you know and trust. Great to chat with you guys wherever you may be. Guy Adami, let's begin with you as well. <laughs> First two-day rally for the Dow in a month. Do you take some comfort from that? Absolutely. And, and hi, Brian. Hi, everybody. Yeah, you, you have to take comfort in it without question. Um, it's encouraging. But it's something I said yesterday, it sort of rings true as well today. I know you mentioned Bernie Sanders and how he's sort of putting a kibosh on this rally a little bit today. But I got to tell you something. Yesterday, the volatility index went from 52 to 61. And today, the volatility index closed higher on the day. And we can speak to, you know, how good an indicator that's been in this environment. But the fact that the VIX is going higher on a day or two days when the Dow's up somewhat 2,500 or so points is a little bit is a little bit disconcerting. I think it speaks to me that I don't think we're necessarily out of the woods yet, Brian. Yeah, it's a little bit weird there on that VIX. Something to watch. All right, Tim Seymour, let's talk about watching Boeing, a 24 percent gain the market is obviously betting that this stimulus deal is going to get done because Boeing, I guess, would be a massive beneficiary of it unless something material has changed in it between now and the vote. Well, again, Boeing's deal is also about the airlines getting a deal. And, and uh, look at Airbus. We've talked about this in terms of the impact. But the big news for Boeing today was uh, discussion that 737 MAX in June uh, begins production. I, I think it's critical. It's critical, certainly, ultimately, for a company that if people want to believe the former business model worked uh, and airlines have the same appetite. And, and obviously, there's still a, a lot to work through on the public relations and then the FAA side. But that, that's the kind of move you've seen. And, and, and so over the last two days, people have done the math. I mean, you know, Boeing, I think it hit a low of $91 or $89. Um, and at some point today, intraday was in the, in the 170s. So this is the kind of reaction that uh, if, if this company has a balance sheet, and again, I focus on their commercial aircraft, um, then this is a company that's not only going to survive, but it, it, it will remain one of the better companies out there. Tremendous headwinds in the short to medium term. And, I, you know, uh, as someone that's long the name, uh, and, and, and actually believes in the longer-term business model, um, it, you know, it's far from easy sledding here. Um, but with support from the government, with support from the airline industry, and with a plan to get this plane back into production, that's what we were waiting for. Yeah, and BK, it's not an overstatement, based on what we've seen, to say that every day hundreds of thousands, if not more, Americans are losing their jobs every day. So it's hard to believe that the senators are not going to kind of come to some conclusion and get a deal done. That said, we've seen things happen in Congress before. If a deal is delayed by a day or not signed for a day or a week, what's going to happen to the market then? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Hey, Brian, I, I, it's really funny because I traded through, uh, I've traded through multiple crises, but I remember distinctly trading through 2008, 2009, uh, when everybody thought, well, obviously the Senate and the Congress has to pass ARP, uh, and they didn't, and the market just tanked. And so, you know, I, I think there's a danger of that. Again, I'll be shocked if that happens, but I do think there's a danger of that happening. I mean, you know, our government by design is supposed to be slow and clunky and inefficient, and we're trying to pass something that people need money today. I mean, there are people with $400 in their bank account. Over 40% of the U.S. population has only $400 in their bank account. You know, by the end of this week, it's going to start to get tight for people. So this is more of a, a, a humanitarian crisis than a political issue at this point. Yeah, it is. I mean, DSW Shoe Warehouse ticket eight. 
80% of their staff is on basically leave without direct compensation. They will have employee benefits, but they're not getting paid. Steve Grass, so that story is replicated all across the country. We know, though, that the market is supposed to be a discounting mechanism. Predict the future maybe six, eight, nine months out. Do you feel that Monday was a bottom? I don't know if you could necessarily call it a bottom just yet, Brian. Uh, obviously, this market is going on stimulus right now because it wants a treatment, wants a vaccine. We're not getting either one of those. So it's all on stimulus right now. Was Monday a bottom? When I look across my desk and I see that equity stakes or what's spooking the market now, even with the stimulus, I don't know if you can call the bottom until you really get a treatment or a vaccine. But I'm definitely encouraged going into month end because of the equity amount that needs to be purchased for our pension funds. Yeah, and, that, and that's it. I mean, there's so many large scale problems out there, Guy Dami. It's almost impossible to know where to start. I want to talk about Apple, though. Let's get a little bit micro. That stock fell in Nikkei reporting that Apple may be delaying its 5G phones. You know, we might start to see some longer term impacts if that indeed report is true on these names that have been powering this rally you guys have talked about on Fast Money for five years. If, if Microsoft and Apple and those, if they start to roll over continuously, what then? Yeah, you got to find a place where you, know, you think it's safe to get back into the water in terms of Apple. And if you're looking for levels, and again, I'm not suggesting by any stretch it's getting there, but you know, that if you go back to the 220 level, which was sort of the, the highs we topped out in, June, in July of 2019 and prior to that in May, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So you have to sort of say to yourself, look, if, if this stock gets to these levels, regardless of what's happening in the world, I'm going to step in and buy it. You, know, you have to have a plan going in because if it gets there, I'll tell you right now, it's going to look terrifying. But quickly on the Boeing front, and Dan Nathan alluded to this, I think the fact that Boeing came back and told the government they have no interest in being diluted by them in terms of an equity stake, I think that was really encouraging for the broader market. I think a lot of people were playing Boeing from the short side, thinking it's going to get extraordinarily diluted. The stock is going to be have a 50 handle. And I think that caught a lot of people off guard. So don't underestimate the power of the Boeing move on this broader rally over the last couple of days. Yeah, Tim, can I ask you to focus on Ford, the stock uh, maybe 30 minutes ago, the company getting its credit rating downgraded to junk by S&P. Obviously, for many reasons, the stock is down after hours. You know, I brought this up last night with a guest, and I'll just ask you, because I know that you're a plain speaker. Do you think that there needs to be some kind of a hold put on these credit rating downgrades? I'm not knocking Moody's S&P or Fitch. I'm just saying these companies are facing these exogenous events. It's not because their business is inherently bad. Do you think we need to stop that or just let that function the way it always has? I wouldn't stop a thing. I mean, ultimately, I, I want to understand what the, the balance sheet of these companies look like. Uh, ultimately, uh, debt covenants are what they are. Debt investors invest and credit investors uh, certainly are, are judging their entire uh, livelihood based upon, again, the ability to pay, not the willingness. Um, so, I, I, look, GM was downgraded as well today. Uh, what we're going to see and what we've said all along and why we got so worried about this tranche of of essentially triple B debt that was out there across the investment grade corporate sector is that the downgraded junk was going to be dramatic and it was going to be significant. Um, having said all that, 
Uh, again, I, I think if you look at the investment grade credit uh, investment scenario, not what a lot of our investors uh, or a lot of our audience look at, but just in terms of understanding what is most oversold, uh, I would say investment grade credit is probably uh, cheap relative to its long term average as much as any other part of the market. But um, do I need credit rating? credit rating agencies uh, to step in now and downgrade. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that's doing me a lot of good or telling me what I didn't already know. And again, Ford over GM in terms of credit exposure. Uh, and, and I would say the concerns there are significantly greater. Um, but uh, look, market has to do its job. Analysts have to do their job. Transparency has to be there. Uh, you can't you can't placate yeah. and you can't, I think, yeah, that, that, that would be disturbing to me. Um, it, the fact that the feds are getting involved and handling where uh, both the public, the consumer and certain companies need a bailout, that's fine. But saying that we can't look at the market for what it is and understand where companies went into this over their skis and are now that much more beleaguered. Um, I, I, I want to know that they need to do that job. Uh, OK, I hear you. it's a fair point, BK. I guess my point is, you know, listen, Ford built up its own hundred and fifty six billion in debt. That's the actual number. But if we're being told we, we can't leave the house to go buy a car, I mean, we just can't actually do that in many states. I do wonder if companies are going to be sort of unfairly punished by the market. I mean, fair is a subjective term. I get it. We've literally never had this kind of a situation in modern American history. Yeah, that's I mean, listen, we, we have a government mandated recession. Everybody closes down. Stay so home. That's don't not- go anywhere except the grocery store and hopefully not to see your doctor. Right. And so that's no company's fault necessarily. Um, you know, so so I think there's an argument to be made there that you need to kind of look through that. Um, that being said, I actually think Ford is a really interesting uh, stock to watch for tomorrow. I'm always looking for a stock that trades really well on bad news because that means it's flushed out. That means it's priced in. So I would watch Ford tomorrow morning and see if that thing starts to go green. That's going to be a really positive sign for the market because it means, you know what, everybody knew this was coming. That's old news. Now we're looking forward. So, you know, if there's one name I'm looking for tomorrow, it's Ford and how it trades. Yeah, green shoots for the blue oval. I like to hear it. A little optimism, BK, there. Steve Grasso, I'll leave it with you. Uh, listen, tomorrow morning, you're going to get that unemployment number, the job, weekly jobless claims number. I tweeted out last night, it could be uh, 5 million people applying for unemployment benefits. Does the economic data, is it going to impact trading at all? Or do you think everybody's just, no matter how bad numbers are, the market has probably already priced that in? So, so the problem is the market and, and intelligent people can price that in, but the market has had this systemic technology algorithm, algorithmic drive to it. So I think the algorithms are going to read that number just as negative as if it wasn't out there already and just as negative as if all of us didn't realize it was already going to be. That's where you can get the flush. But I think the other interesting point about Ford and GM is that the way this rule is written in the the stimulus plan, I'm not sure that the Fed can buy their debt. So we have to get a little bit granular. Maybe they'll change that. Maybe they'll change the wording on that. But I think that's where it becomes interesting to say to the credit rating agencies, take a powder. Let's revisit this in a month or two. All right, guys, we do appreciate it. Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, BK, and Steve Grasso. Guys, appreciate it. Be well. Thinking of you. All right, look forward to the day that everybody's around this desk again. All right, on deck. The head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is with us. What he likes of the relief bill and what businesses around America still need from it, assuming 
it has ever signed. And later on, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, his state now has the second highest number of cases in the nation. We're going to talk to him about what he is doing to try to stem the outbreak and protect all those hardworking small businessmen and women across the Garden State. Stick with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. While we hopefully await the passage of that $2 trillion relief bill, let's focus our attention to the economy. 163 million Americans are in the labor force. Yesterday, Canada had 5% of its labor force file for unemployment benefits, which means if we posted the same rate of jobless benefits tomorrow morning as Canada, it would mean 5 million Americans applying for unemployment benefits in one week and would erase six years of job gains across the country. Joining us now is Tom Donahoe. He is CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Tom, uh, it's good to chat with you again. And, I mean, let's hope the number is not that large. Uh, But at this point, we just don't know. And yet Congress continues to seem to dither over the details. Where do we stand on the bill? Are you optimistic something is going to get done? Absolutely. I believe that we can count on something being done either this evening or the First thing in the morning, the deal is all cut. There happen to be a few senators that are uh, sort of uh, exercising uh, some of their uh, ability to have a different view, but it's going to get passed. And we're asking the House of Representatives uh, not to bother to come back. They don't have to. There's a way to just have them uh, approve it tomorrow. We need to do that because we need to take all of these resources we've assembled under this very good bill and begin immediately to distribute them around this country so that no company goes bankrupt, no citizen goes bankrupt, no family goes bankrupt. We have things in this bill to avoid it. Let's do it. You know, and what's amazing and... and sort of bizarre, Tom, is that you've got parts of the economy that are working. Obviously, the first responders, they are working, all the hardworking people at the grocery store and the truck drivers and delivering it. By the way, some of us here as well at the NASDAQ, but the other parts aren't. And so we see this, uh, we see, like you talked about Ford getting its credit rating downgraded. And I brought up the idea of maybe pausing some of this stuff. Do we need just kind of a real two to three week total pause in the economy? I feel like we're kind of halfway there. Well, you, you uh, Brian, you know, we can't, we can't pause the part of the economy that produces and delivers food to the shelves of stores and the people that sell them. We can't do that with gasoline. We can't do that with the people that provide power generation for the whole country. We, and we can go on and on. There are hundreds of services uh, and uh, uh, companies that are out there doing their job. Uh, What we're trying to do, if you look for a second on the pandemic, is you're not going to cure this whole thing. The idea is to push down that bubble and get it down flatter so that we'll be able to have adequate services in every city across this country to take care of those that are really sick and need our help. 
soon after that, we're going to start moving more people back to work. But that has to be done in an orderly, cooperative business between the government of the United States and the medical professionals, both in the government and out of the government, so that we make things better, not worse. And I think we're on our way to get there, not tomorrow, not next week, but soon. Is there any realistic estimate or indication of the financial damage that has been done to the small businesses across the United States? Do we have anything yet? Well, we've talked about that in recent hours. And the point is, you're not going to be able to figure that out until we put the resources that we're going to put in place and see what is not there to be rescued. And we can even then go back and bring people back into a company that have already been let go and have those loans which turn into grants and companies will be able to, uh, you know, get out of a hole that they might be in. I'm not sure what the number is going to be. It'll certainly be something. But we're going to put a minimum right away of $350 billion into many of these programs. And when you add it all up, for the big companies, the small companies, the hospitals, and everybody that's going to get a break here, all the individual workers, uh, and then go to what the Federal Reserve and the and the uh, Treasury are going to be able to do together, they're going to have a, a, a package that will go up to $4 trillion. Yeah. You know, the, the last two, of course, you're going to have to pay back. But yeah. I think we, we've taken a big step forward. We need to do it. Four and a half times larger than 2009. But quickly, Tom, you do remain optimistic. A bill will get signed well, soon. I'm an Irishman. I've watched what this country could do for a long, long time. We're doing it. We're a little slowed down with what's going on in Washington. Probably not hurt us yet, but we've got to move on it right now. I'm an absolute optimist. This country will stand for nothing else. Well, Tom, I tell you what, when this thing whole wraps up and we can get back together again, the first Guinness is on me, Irishman to Irishman. Tom Donahue, thank you very much. You've got it, man. I'll be there. All right, cheers. All right, tonight at 7 o'clock, an important program for you to tune into. Be sure to catch a special CNBC town hall, Pandemic and the Path Forward. We're going to speak with former Chief White House Economic Advisor Gary Cohn, Mark Cuban, NASDAQ CEO Dina Friedman, John Rogers of Aerial Investments, and former FDA head Scott Gottlieb. Cannot miss it tonight, 7 p.m. All right, up next, it is back to your money. Market veteran Mark Mobius. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
active with us. Find out where he is finding opportunity around the world in these wild swings. And then New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. The state just reported one of the biggest single-day jumps in cases, but he may have some good news on it. We're going to ask him about that and what is being done to protect the Garden State. Stick around. All right, welcome back. We are very pleased now to be joined on CNBC by Phil Murphy. Of course, he is the governor of New Jersey. Uh, governor Murphy, thank you very much for joining us uh, during these difficult times. I'd My heard honor, some- Brian. Thank you. And, uh, you know, as listen, as a New Jersey resident, I'm glad to speak with you as well. And, you know, there's so much fear around what's going on right now. I understand that anxiety levels are up. I actually heard that you had a little bit of, I think, good news earlier today where you said, as bad as it is, we need to remember that 80 to 85 percent of cases end up fairly mild. Is that the correct data? I'd say moderate to mild, Brian, and that's, that's, the, that's the, the worldwide trend, and that's important for folks to know. So, listen, we're the number two impacted state right now in America. We have 4,400 folks who have tested positive. We've lost 62 precious lives. We knew these numbers were going to go up. We're in a war. And I would just say to folks, no time to panic, but also no time for business as usual. And this notion of staying home, and social distancing and allow us to build out capacity aggressively in the healthcare system, that combination will allow us to deal with this. And I've got a good friend who is a doctor at Robert Wood Johnson. Obviously, the doctors and nurses, they are working their tails off night, night, night and day. What is being done as far as extra facilities, tents outside? Where do we stand on respirators, ventilators? Yep. So we've got uh, on the, I'll put aside social distancing and, and flattening the curve uh, and staying at home to one side for a second, although that's really important. On the healthcare side, there are three variables we're trying to expand as dramatically as possible critical care beds, personal protective equipment, including uh, ventilators, and, and thirdly, the healthcare workforce, who are our heroes right now. Uh, on the first two, that's a lot of, not entirely and not exclusively, but that's a lot. Uh, centered on our relationship with the federal government. I was on with Vice President Pence earlier. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. I'm about to get on a call with the FEMA administrator. We have four field hospitals being delivered right now from FEMA Region 2. The Army Corps is helping us set them up. We're opening wings of hospitals that were closed. We're looking at opening whole hospitals that were closed, converting things like dorm rooms for low-symptom folks. A lot going on there. Secondly, on personal protective equipment, we just don't have enough, uh, and it's really frustrating. We've got a big ask to the federal government. They've, they've, to their credit, they've given us two slugs, but we, we need a lot more. We're turning over every stone. Private sectors have, have stepped up in a big way. We canceled elective surgeries as of Friday, so those those uh, health care centers, we're going to get equipment there. It's literally trying to scrap for every bit of it. The prices are going up in the world market. We're all competing with each other, as you can imagine. Yep. But that's a, big, that's a big challenge. And then expanding the workforce are things like school nurses, retired nurses and health care workers, uh, uh, folks who are in the last semester in there to get their degree, uh, uh, folks who have a license out of state, giving them a license to practice in New Jersey. So those are the three big initiatives on the healthcare system side, and we're full speed ahead on all three, trying to get out ahead of this thing. We're talking about the stimulus plan from a federal level, Governor. I wrote something quickly today basically saying 
You know, like if you want to build a stadium, you basically float the bonds and then you build the stadium and then you sort of pay it back with taxes and hotels and everything else. Is there something that New Jersey is looking at doing on the statewide level that we can, you know, New Jersey is a state where people, the, the, the family-owned restaurant still exists. It's yep. not all big chains, not taking anything away from them. How do we make sure that those small businesses across the state can survive this, Governor? Yeah, I mean, listen, they've been crushed. Uh as have the workers. Listen, we had two choices, Brian, from the get-go, and we started meeting on this in January, so we've been at this for months. One one possible road would have been to let the virus run amok and take enormous economic pain as a result with a lot of fatalities and folks who get sick. The other road that we have chosen affirmatively to take every step of the way is to rip the Band-Aid off, take economic pain up front, but break the back of the coronavirus hopefully keep our fatalities and sicknesses down, and then reopen the economy. I still think that's the right way to go. I don't think you can reverse that order. And there's no price that's too much for us to try to save every single precious life. But in the meantime, folks are getting crushed. The federal bill in Congress that you're referring to is a huge X factor for us, assuming it comes out the right way and it gives us flexibility for workers who are unemployed for small businesses, hospitals, transit systems, for the state itself, frankly. We're getting crushed, as you can imagine. Uh, that's a huge lifeline for us potentially going forward. I drove up here today on the turnpike, Governor, and I don't need to tell you, but it's, but it's empty. What, what also means is that the revenues for the parkway and the turnpike and the Lincoln Tunnel, these are lost revenues. Uh, the pension fund, where do we stand on funding levels for critical services like the highways and roads, we need to get the trucks up and down them to the grocery store, as well as what's the state of the pension plan? State of the pension plan, as you can imagine, has been is challenged. Uh, the past couple of days in the market have been good ones, and I don't know whether or not that continues or not. But the, the pension plans, like any pension plans around the country, have been hit sideways. Uh, and so they're going to need some time here to stabilize. Uh, again, I think the order of events here, as painful as it is, is to break the back of the virus and then responsibly begin to open society and the economy back. The president has mentioned uh, Easter. I, listen, I, I hope he's right. I'll be the happiest guy in New Jersey just based on the data we're looking at. I, I don't, uh, based on science and medicine and whatnot, I don't think we're going to be there yet. I hope we are, uh, but we're prepared for the worst. Uh, you know, NJ Transit got clobbered. We asked for, uh, you know, from the feds, a billion and a half or two. Uh, the, the parkway and the turnpike uh, are largely been self-sustaining, although, as you rightfully point out, traffic is way down, which is, a, by the way, that's what we want right now. We want people to stay at home, as painful as that may be. Uh, we're going to need the help from the federal government to get back on our feet. We're going to get through this. We're New Jersey, after all, right? So we're going to get through this, uh, but it ain't going to be unscathed, and it won't be tomorrow. But if we all do our part, we will get there. Yeah, and we're still seeing price gouging, from what I understand. Hoarding, price gouging. Yep. How do we stop that? Hoarding less so, uh, although that's been uh, a challenge. Price gouging, the attorney general was with me yesterday. We're taking aggressive action. Uh, we're also taking aggressive action at firms who employ people who don't let them work from home or don't allow them to social distance So, or, or noncompliant behavior. Some knucklehead was coughing on someone yesterday in a supermarket. Another guy was doing that today to medical personnel claiming he had the coronavirus. Anybody who takes advantage of this time, uh, we will deal with swiftly and aggressively.
Yeah, I mean, you got to look at criminal charges for folks like that. I mean, it's, it's incomprehensible in this time. So what's, Governor, the message to, I know there's a lot of people that are watching from New Jersey right now. It's got a big CNBC audience. Many of yep. them are business owners, whether it's a restaurant, a dry cleaner, or a financial services firm, a gas station, whatever it is. Yep. What's your message to them? Everybody right now, I think, needs a little bit of hope. Listen, we understand it, and anxiety is high, and we get that. My job is to shoot straight with each other. Listen, this is a war. Uh, we, we won World War II not because we panicked, but we stayed the course. We were proactive, smart, aggressive. We worked our tails off. We had courage. Uh, that's exactly what we need right now. And we know the pain is high right now, both of isolation, staying at home, small businesses, folks who are out of work. But I, I, I know with all my heart the order here is to kill the virus and get through the surge and get that behind us, and then we can begin to get our economy and our society back on our feet. If we all do our share, if we all do our part from the little things, washing with soap all the way up to the bigger ones, uh, we will get through this. And we will emerge as a state stronger than ever before. Yeah, I like the message. Final question, if I could, Governor, is a lot of people are also wondering about the schools, because here's the challenge. As you know, I mean, there's millions of people around the country, probably a million plus or more in New Jersey, who probably can't go back to work if their kids are home all day because school is effectively their child care. How do we balance out keeping families safe, teachers safe? kids safe, schools safe, but also enabling people that might need to go back to work to be able to do that? How do we make decisions yeah. on schools? So, so, Brian, I just made an announcement today that I had signed an executive order, which is going to focus our daycare in specifically to first responders, healthcare workers, essential workers in our state to make sure it was there, frankly, exclusively for them. Schools are going to stay out for, for, for more time. I, I don't have an answer for you yet in terms of how much longer, but it's going to be a while longer. Uh, and we understand the daycare pressure 100%. We've got to start with health care workers, first responders, essential uh, workers in our current configuration, and then we can expand and back and fill from there. Uh, we, we, we had no choice but to close the schools They'll be closed for a while longer. We've got to be able to get that balance right and, again, pull out of this stronger, I hope, than ever before. Governor Phil Murphy of the great state of New Jersey. Amen. Governor, we appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Keep Thanks, us informed. Brian. Good to be with you. All right. Thank you. All right. Still ahead. We are awaiting that White House press briefing on the coronavirus. We're going to look for any comments on the aid package that might be working its way through Congress as well. Also expecting to have Mark Mobius joining us. Famed global investor on what to do with your markets and your money right now. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Let's get you up to speed on the very latest on the pandemic. Sue Herrera back at CNBC HQ with that. Sue. Hello, Brian. Hello, everybody. We're going to start, as we usually do, with the latest numbers. Global cases have risen above 460,000. The death toll is nearing 21,000. In the U.S., there are more than 62,000 cases, nearly 900 deaths. Apple's CEO Tim Cook has gone on Twitter to urge people to follow the guidelines from the health experts. But he also announced a major donation by Apple. Apple is, has sourced procured and is donating 10 million masks to the medical community in the United States. 
These people deserve our debt of gratitude for all of the work that they're doing on the front lines. And we did a little digging, and believe it or not, there is a patron saint of epidemics, and she is Saint Corona. Yep, you heard me correctly. A cathedral in Aachen, Germany, has dug out the relics of the little-known saint and is polishing her shrine so people can come worship after the coronavirus pandemic passes. Saint Corona was buried at the cathedral, which is one of Europe's oldest, in 814. As always, for more on the coronavirus coverage at CNBC, go to CNBC.com. Brian? The patron saint of epidemics yes. is Saint Corona? Saint Corona. You heard me correctly. I double-checked it. Actually, I triple-checked it. I don't it. doubt it. I just I hope and that's some really good sign from above, long term. I, I hope so. Um, basically, news organizations picked it up because people in Italy uh, were, were praying to her very openly um, from their balconies, and that people were like, what do you mean, St. Corona? So there, that is where she is buried in this cathedral, and uh, that was in 814, but she is the patron saint of epidemics, and they want people to come see her after the pandemic is done. Wow, I'm looking it there up here. Ama it. Amazing. Lived during the time of Marcus Aurelius. Sue mm -hmm. Herrera. Thank you very much, Sue. You got it, Brian. Be well. You too. All right, coming up, a bailout crackdown. Media mogul Tom Rogers will join us. What he says needs to happen if corporate America gets a big check from Uncle Sam. And later, what should you be doing with your money during these wild market swings? Two of Wall Street's top strategists will join us on just that when we come back. And welcome back to CNBC's continued coverage of the markets in turmoil. If you're just joining us, stock surged today a bit as investors waited the final details of that $2 trillion relief bill in Congress. Kayla Tausche broke the news earlier today that part of the stimulus bill could include a one-year moratorium on stock buybacks that any company that takes a loan from the government must adhere to. And your next guest wrote an op-ed in Newsweek saying that's only the beginning of what needs to be done. Let's bring in Winview Executive Chairman Tom Rogers, also the founder of this network, CNBC, serves on a number of corporate boards. Tom, it's great to chat with you again. It is your belief that any company that takes government money should not be allowed to do a share buyback? Uh, yes, no doubt. But before I get into that, let me just say, having been at CNBC at the launch, I have never been prouder of what you and your colleagues are doing under incredibly tough circumstances. And special kudos to you and your producer, Kevin Flynn, just doing a terrifically informative show under very trying times. So thank, thank you, you very Tom. much. From everybody at CNBC, thank you. Um, look, CEO pocketbooks uh, can't be our primary concern right now. We've got to think about uh, everybody's health, uh, workers' pocketbooks, Main Street small businesses. But part of all this is maintaining support for the actions that are being taken now and looking ahead to the consequences of all this unprecedented action. And all the fear that everybody has right now about what's going on in the market and watching their pensions and 401ks diminish um, is all going to turn from fear to anger if CEOs and corporate executives make a killing here. And it's one thing to ban buybacks during a, a bailout. That's kind of an obvious issue and clearly a bad use of cash, although I don't think a very likely use of cash. But the real backlash will come if companies that are helped grant options 
to their top executives at these deeply beaten down prices and then off the back of government loans or government bailbacks, uh, their stock rebounds and they're able to make a killing having gotten stock options or restricted stock at these incredibly low levels. So it's one thing to watch out for wasteful use of money like buybacks in the midst of this. It's another thing to make sure that the kind of things that are really going to generate anger down the road we protect against. Yeah, I mean, you, you noted in your op-ed, I mean, the airlines have taken $40 billion in buybacks over the last, whatever, 10 years or so. Now they're looking for relief, and they will probably get it and may deserve it because we need them to be up and running once this is over. But our memories, Tom, are not that long lost from 2008, 2009, 2010. There's still going to be a lot of anger around this when all the dust is settled. I think that's absolutely right, Brian. But you look back to 2008 and the auto bailouts and the CEO of Ford at the time uh, got a uh, reduced salary package, saved some cash for the company in the midst of that, but also got a stock option package that somehow was valued at the time at about $16 million. Two years later, in 2011, that was worth $200 million. And it just makes absolutely no sense to allow corporate executives who are getting bailouts to get stock grants of any kind that allow for that kind of huge compensation bonanza in the midst of this. And that's the kind of thing that will just create enormous anger and has to be protected against. You know, Tom, one of the companies that you, you work with, well, actually you run, Winview and others, um, involves online gaming. I want to switch gears just a bit. Online gaming. We're seeing the world change in many ways right now. We are learning that maybe we don't need to work in the way that we used to. Maybe we don't need to play in the way that we used to. There was a virtual NASCAR race on linear television on Fox Sports over the weekend. What are your projections for how this ultimately changes how we work, how we live, and how we play? Well, I've been following this area very closely because Windview, as you know, is in the midst of uh, a merger with uh, two other companies, one of which is a public company called Torque Esports that specializes in car racing. And it has been putting on esports competitions that are available to watch from home. And the surge in viewership, the surge in um, visibility that they have gotten over the last week is quite astounding. Uh, something that I think is going to be part of a long-term trend as we're all at home thinking more and more about how do you entertain yourself at home to be able to have that kind of ongoing sporting event that is virtual and not real but has all the excitement of a real sporting event is something that is clearly a major macro trend. So um, I am uh, convinced that we will come out of this uh, with a lot of changed habits about entertainment, about uh, work, um, and uh, generally what it means to uh, turn your home into something where you can uh, be incredibly productive in ways that we haven't thought about before. Yeah, certainly, Tom Rogers. We appreciate your view on that. I urge everybody to check out that op-ed, which is in Newsweek online as well, of course. Tom, be well. Best to you and your family. And again, thank you very much for the kind words at the start. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right, coming up, it'll be another big day for the markets tomorrow because we'll get the first jobless claim since most of the country went on lockdown. The numbers, the estimates range anywhere from a million to four plus million. 
We're going to break out your Thursday market playbook when we come back. I want to take you right now to the coronavirus briefing at the White House. To gain ground in the war against the virus. I want to thank the American people for answering the call, following our guidelines, and making the sacrifices required to overcome this terrible threat. More aggressively, we commit to social distancing. So important. Social distancing, such an important phrase. And we do it right now. The more lives we can save and the sooner we can eventually get people back to work, back to school, and back to normal. And there are large sections of our country probably can go back much sooner than other sections. And we're obviously looking at that also. People are asking, is that an alternative? I say, absolutely, it is an alternative. I have now approved major disaster declarations for New York, California, Washington, Iowa, Louisiana, Texas, and Florida. That has great significance, as you know, and legal significance. We're in a constant uh, uh, grouping, and I, I can say this, we have a large grouping of people that does nothing but communicate with uh, the various officials, including We've been spending a lot of time with New York officials because that really is by far the hottest spot. They've got uh, a number of very tough weeks ahead of them. Uh, the governor's doing a very good job. I spoke to the governor, Governor Cuomo, last night and this morning. And he mentioned that uh, in his remarks that he's using the — that we are using, and I think he feels because he understands negotiation. Okay, that is the White House Task Force briefing on the coronavirus. You can see the Treasury Secretary is there, Vice President Pence, Dr. Anthony Fauci. If any headlines are made or if Mnuchin takes the podium, we will may jump back into that press conference and, of course, bring you any key headlines as they occur. Right now, though, let's do what we do here and talk about the markets and try to get you set up for what's going on. Joining us now is Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets, and Lisa Shallot, chief investment officer at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Lori, uh, was Monday the bottom for the stock market? I, I, I will have to see, but I think there's a good chance that it probably wasn't. Um, what we know about bottoms is that they do take time. Um, I think where we're pricing, what we're pricing in now in the market is consistent with recession pricing. On Friday, we dipped slightly below the 2300 mark. The market was starting to tell us that something more onerous than an ordinary recession was at hand. And I think that possibility is still out there. We really don't know what's going to happen um, in terms of the path of this virus. And I think that's really the most important thing for markets right now. Lisa, what do you think? Uh, I don't think we're ready to declare a bottom either, uh, but I guess where, you know, we might differ is, you know, we are pretty constructive on the amount of firepower that is being thrown um, at this problem. If you think about what the Fed has done in under the guise of whatever it takes, um, it is highly likely we're going to see a Fed balance sheet that is approaching uh, you know, six to eight trillion dollars before this is all over. Um, the U.S. is probably the U.S. government is probably going to spend some somewhere upwards of the two trillion dollars in the bill in uh, the three bills that have that have, you know, thus far been proposed. And I think when you take those two things in total, you're talking about a massive, massive commitment 
you know, in order of magnitude of, you know, 9 to 10 percent of U.S. GDP uh, in aggregate. Um, and so while, you know, we recognize that, that you know, the, the healthcare related part of the crisis is not over, um, you know, what we do want to remind people uh, is that never before in the history of our country ever, including in, in the financial crisis, um, have policymakers worked this fast, this bold, in yeah. this kind of size, um, you know, relative to GDP, um, you know, to, to mitigate. And so I do think that there's reason um, to be constructive. Laura, you said you did not think that Monday was necessarily the bottom. If not, how much more do you think could be on the downside? Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of, you know, sort of in the trading community, a lot of people are talking about 2,000, 2,100. That seems to be the consensus that's starting to emerge. And my gut says uh, we could probably trade a little bit below that. If you just look at how bad we got hit in the tech bubble, um, about a 49% drop peak to trough, that would take you down to around 1,700. Um, so I think, you know, if we sort of don't see the market hold, you know, around this 2,300 level, that would be the next level that I'd frankly be worried about. Um, and, you know, I just want to echo something Lisa said. You know, we do think that the stimulus that's coming through is extraordinary. My year-end target for the S&P 500 is 27.50. Um, but I'll also tell you that my earnings estimate for next year for the S&P is lower than what we had in 2019. And I think there's not enough conversation going on around the street right now about yeah. how behavior is changing and what's the longer-term fallout from this. It is, and we will have that. Uh, Lori and Lisa, thank you both very much. Appreciate your insight. Be well. Do not forget, at 7 o'clock tonight, a special town hall pandemic and the path forward a big time lineup for you tonight seven o'clock Gary Cohn Mark Cuban Adina Friedman John Rogers and Scott Gottlieb from all of us here thanks for watching we'll see you tomorrow night on CNBC Jim Cramer picking up the coverage on Mad Money right now take care the spirit of performance defines Acura and now it's electric introducing the all-electric ZDX Acura's most powerful SUV yet while what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.